0: Also brought to you by the Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. Eat local but stay coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant. The Boatyard is located at 1555 Southeast 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale. That means you can come by boat or you can come by car. Enjoy the nautical atmosphere whether you sit inside in the cold AC or outside on the patio bar. The Boatyard has something for everyone. Monday through Friday, happy hour. Our local favorite is bar bites and handcrafted cocktails, open for lunch, dinner, and the popular Sunday brunch. And don't forget, Ladies Night, every Thursday night from seven to ten PM where ladies drink free. Dock and dine at the famous boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. I am sure you'll have a great experience. Clear the airways. <laughs> the Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. You like Joe Rogan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was start, uh, first learning about podcasts, of course, you know, that's mm-hmm. why I was like, all right, well, who's the best? You know, who's got the biggest? So I started listening to Rogan and then I was like, wow, it's pretty good. But then, um, then I started doing the podcast and I realized that almost everybody that Rogan has standing in front of him for his interviews and stuff is some sort of professional that's kind of used to talking oh, and being right. in front of a camera. Yeah, yeah that's or, true has some sort of talent or whatever. So I'm like, hey, that's not fair. I'm interviewing fishermen and stuff. (laughs) They're kind of dumb as, you know, they come, you know, or at least sound that way. So, uh, you know. No,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, some of the scientist people he has on there, like the crazy, just (laughs) out of control, way off in left field, but they still come across as like, you listen to it, like, you know what, that could be. And I'm like, wait a a minute, no, it
0: can't. (laughs) Anyway, I started the recording. Um, today, I got uh, I got Rick from Rick's Real Adventures, um, all the way down to South Florida from Utah. That's right. Rick, thanks for coming into the Lunker Dog Studio and being part of the Real Guide Network. We appreciate you having you. Pleasure is mine. So, what are you, down here on business? Down here for business,
1: yes. And uh, every time I come down, it's real estate-based, so come down for a few days, teach a class, and uh, try to get a little fishing in while I'm down here, so... But you seem to get a little fishing in no matter where you go. <laughs> I do take a fishing rod with me everywhere I
0: travel. That's, yeah. And as, um, is that where um, Rick's Real Adventures kind of?
1: Yeah, yeah. As I as I started doing it, my wife's like, hey, you should start, you know, it started off as a blog, and actually I still have the blog that I haven't written on in a while. But, uh, uh, yeah, she's like, you should start just writing about stuff because even when we were first married, I just put her on. She's like, you plan on fishing? I'm like, I don't know, but if if the opportunity comes up, I'll be prepared for it, kind of thing. And uh, so it kind of started
0: from there and kind so of you, grew. So you so you plan a fishing trip or a, a pla not necessarily a fishing trip, a, a destination. Mm-hmm. And then you'd plug the fishing part into it. Yeah. And then you started a blog to record and document all the different places and stuff and experiences. Yeah.
1: So the, really, the thing that got me, like, really into fishing I grew up fishing here and there but nothing nothing big you know little trout streams in Utah and what have you Uh, but I was really big into hunting Mm -hmm. and uh, as I got married uh, my wife's not against hunting but uh, (laughs) I was gone a lot and she doesn't care to go so she's like one day she's like hey Rick if you you know I know you like fishing I'll go fishing with you you can go fishing anytime you want if you don't hunt as much and I'm like well that sounds like a winner to me so (laughs) I just ended up switching tactics a little bit. And uh, there was a trip that we took. Uh, where, where did we go? It was the White Cloud Mountain Range of Idaho. So my oldest brother, Jason, uh, always would plan these hiking trips. Okay. And he's like, hey, we should do like a brother hiking trip. We'll do a 50-miler every year. And I said, well, is there going to be any kind of fishing? Cause I don't want to just hike. I mean, it, it's pretty, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but. like the hike, I, <laughs> You'd like
0: to hike to a de- destination. You might yes. be able to catch a fish.
1: Yes. Or, or anything other than seeing a, a view that didn't motivate me. And so he says, yeah, we'll, we'll plug fishing into it. And he's, he was in the fly fishing at the time. And so, yeah, he just started booking these trips and he, uh, would, or not book the trips. I should say he'd plan the trips. Right. And, uh at any rate, he'd say, yeah, we're going to hike this many miles this day. And then we're get, we've got these lakes to fish and then we'll go to the next day. So, so yeah, they're for there about eight, nine years. Uh, we did a hiking trip every single year, somewhere in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, or Utah. And, uh, this particular, the very first one we ever went on, um, I was just getting into fly fishing. So I can, I could cast a few feet, whatnot. And the Alpine lakes are very user friendly. Let's say the fish don't see very many people up there. So it's, easier to catch them so we put on dry flies things that nature and uh, we caught this we caught this fish that i had never seen before it was a it was a golden trout at the time i had no idea what that was right um but turns out you they're very difficult to catch as far as you have to it's difficult to get into the area where they're at and then generally they're a little more difficult to catch when you're there and uh, so I landed one, and none of us—I mean, we're lots of cool fish. We just thought it was some kind of a weird cutthroat, <laughs> and turns out uh, it was a golden trout. And so we all kind of freaked out when when we so were all back. All a sudden,
0: you found out it was a big deal. Yeah,
1: I was like, "Well, oh, geez, that's cool." And, then, and granted, the biggest one we caught was like 12 inches. But
0: you, you kind of—it's kind of like been a repetitive thing with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had that experience with you as well. My first <laughs> snook. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> I take Rick out fishing for the first time. How many years ago was that? Yeah. You know, Probably close to, what, eight? Eight or nine eight, years nine ago, maybe. Year, yeah. And uh, he catches this horse of a snook. I mean, you know, 43-inch or something like that. Really big fish. Monster. And uh, we caught a lot of big fish that night. And then uh, I didn't see Rick for a while. And then I get a phone call from him. And he's like, well, geez, Jeff, I didn't realize that all those <laughs> fish
1: we caught. <laughs> yeah, well, when I caught it at the time, and I bet you probably read that because you mentioned, dude, you said, dude, this is a huge fish. And, and you actually, if I remember right, you actually... Asked, hey, do you want to mount this? Or I, I've got a guy, and I was like, yeah I'm I'm good, you know. But no, I didn't realize till after that. That was the first snook trip I ever did, and that to this day is by far the biggest snook I've ever caught, 42 inches long. I don't remember the girth now, but uh, it was
0: a it was a it was a it was a
1: big fish. At, I, that but, night between me and the other guy on the boat, we landed probably a
0: dozen that were. 15-plus yeah, pounds 20, 20 easy? Pound fish, yeah. yeah. Those were the good old days when the big snooks were just <laughs> hanging around Unbelievable. Here. Yeah, yeah. So that happened with the golden trout.
1: Yeah, so with the golden trout, uh, that kind of triggered something in me of, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I caught a fish that not a lot of people have either caught or or come to find out fly fishermen like, man, that's high on their bucket list to catch one of those. So I said, well, I'm going to set a goal to try to catch every trout species in Utah. And so I did that, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna try to catch every species in Utah. That's my new goal. I want to catch every game fish that Utah has.
0: So you just kept raising the bar for yourself. Yeah,
1: and, and that got me into really searching out species. So I started researching just crazy species, like mostly freshwater. I'm just now you you can tell with you fish with me. <laughs> saltwater's not the not my strong suit, but uh, but no the the freshwater stuff, I just started. Uh, doing research on all sorts of crazy stuff, which got me looking into, you know, the Amazon River and, you know, the big Arapaimas and stuff like that. But it all started in Idaho catching a little 12-inch trout that I had never seen before. And now that's really what drives me fishing is I want to catch new species. I don't care if it's four inches long or, you know, four feet long. I I get the same kick out of it.
0: All right, cool. So that's brought you pretty much, well, it's all brought you all over the world. Yeah. Just for the audience I mean, if you could, just kind of give them a little rundown of all the different countries that you've been in in the last decade or so. Because I watch the stuff through Facebook and your Instagram, and, you know, not, it seems like not more than a month will go by. And I'm like, Well damn, look what Rick got. Where the hell is he? <laughs> and I'm and I'm looking at some crazy fish, and you're in some beautiful setting, and I'm, you're smiling, and I'm like, Jesus, you know, this guy's doing it again <laughs> and then again and again and again. So, yeah, if you could uh, – Give us a little rundown of all the different places you've been, kind of like a laundry list, and then uh, we'll break them down what you thought was, uh, you know, the most challenging and the easiest and the most pleasant, okay, and the yeah, hardest, yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So uh, the places I've been, I've, I, well, I've been to 30 countries total so far, and I've probably fished 20 of them. Okay. Uh, starting, you know, of course, U.S., Canada, Mexico uh bahamas i mean you, you, most of the caribbean, right, all <laughs> uh, the caribbean. countries yeah uh, australia fiji guyana uh, thailand singapore uh vietnam
0: see if you, if, what, I'm tra- what, I, what i'm trying i want the audience to realize that rick really fishes the world He's yeah, going it's, it's around the world, and, and
1: I've been lucky to have a, a in in, uh, in some of those aspects. It's been on a business trip, like this one. Now, you know, we're doing this podcast. I'm I'm down here for business, and and so work paid me to come here, <laughs> but I get done at a certain hour, and I can do whatever I want after that. So that's why I pack fishing poles and do all of that. But uh, on the other end, where I'm paying for the trips, you know, uh, I try to pick trips that uh, my wife will enjoy going as well. But then I'll make a day where I can go. Do something right. Like when we go to Thailand, we went to Thailand. It wasn't to fish, but we made a day so I could go out and try to catch something crazy.
0: Right, right, right. right. It's funny you mentioned Thailand because tomorrow you're going to go out and try to get a snakehead.
1: I am. Yep. And you never caught a snakehead. Never caught one before.
0: I don't know. This is probably a good ten or fifteen years ago. I get a call from the IGFA, and they got this guy in from Thailand who they're giving a lifetime achievement award for catching. The biggest snakehead ever.
1: Like the giant snakehead there
0: in Thailand? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, he was in town to get this award and wanted to catch a tarpon. So the people from the IGFA were like, well, if you want to catch a tarpon in Fort Lauderdale, call Jeff. So they lined up the trip, and I took the guy from Thailand. And um, it's a funny story because uh, he had his wife with him. And I didn't realize that in Thailand, like, they want to be pale as they possibly can oh, be. Oh, Yeah. And they want their skin to be is like, they never wanted to touch the sun. Yeah,
1: exact opposite of the U.S. Right, exact opposite <laughs> of us.
0: So this, so the guy's on the boat, and he doesn't speak English very well. The wife speaks no English. And the guy from AIGFA is kind of, like, you know, helping. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the lady's on the boat, and, man, she's all of about 80 pounds. And she's covered... From head to toe. I mean, you can't see anything on her.
1: And then the glasses, so there's right. no light getting in. Right. Yes. You
0: can't see her eyes, nothing. <laughs> it's like you're fishing with, like, a mannequin, mm-hmm. and she's up there. And, um, you know, tarpon fishing, the way we do it is it's it's hot and sunny for the first couple hours, and then the sun goes down. And uh, when the sun goes down, she takes off all the cover-up from the sun. And the lady is gorgeous, like... Like, she, she's so beautiful that she was almost looked fake. Right. I mean, her skin looked fake. She looked fake. She was tiny, you know, very soft-spoken. And I'll never forget that trip because we busted our ass to get a tarpon, and we couldn't get a bite. Dude, mm. we could not get a bite. So I'm dropping them off on the river, and they're stepping out of the boat, and I still have one bait in the water. And all of them get off the boat, and that, that rod's in the rod holder, and... um Sure enough, as soon as they all get off the boat, the rod goes down and the fish starts jumping. So the fish is taken off down the river one way. The client's on the seawall oh, about no. 15 feet the other way. So I pull over to the seawall. He hops back on the boat by himself, <laughs> catches his tarpon, except his wife's not there. The guy from the IGFA's not there. And it's just me and him, and he can't speak any English. And let's just say that it was quite colorful. Well, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but the guy ended up getting his tarpon, and that's my Thailand snakehead story. Good times. And it's ironic that I took that guy, and now you come here to get you a snakehead.
1: That's right. Yeah, the bullseye, bullseye snakehead.
0: Now did you? you get, do you have some sort of method that you use to like seek out um, the guides that that can take you to get the different species that you want to get?
1: Um, initially, no. I mean, I think you were one of the first guides I ever paid. Really. Yeah, you were, you were one of the first. It was you and there was a guy in Utah uh, to go after lake trout. Because you, you Basically, to get a big lake trout, you have to be in a boat. And at the time, I didn't have one. And uh, so at the time, I was just – like when I booked you, for example, I just typed in tarpon fishing guides near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and LunkerDog.com popped up, and I called you and a couple others. and I liked the vibe I got from you and uh, booked it. But any more, I try to get referrals – so as I start doing research, and that's a really cool thing with like Facebook, Instagram, and stuff. When you start following other other fishing, uh, anybody that's into fishing, whether they're guides, just fishermen, I'll reach out. If I'm going to a certain spot, I'll start trying to find the people that I follow that are relative to that area.
0: Oh, that's a good way to do and it. And I just
1: start asking, hey, if you were to get a guide in your area, what are some guides that you know that are good? And then I'll start making calls that way and...
0: Yeah, that's a smart way yeah. to do it. Yeah, find out from the local that's actually into that type of fishing yep. and then work your way backwards. Mm-hmm. Huh, I don't think that way. most people don't do it like that. Yeah, that's... Maybe that's why you're a little bit more successful yeah. <laughs> than most on some of these travels. Yeah. Now, all these places that you went, in, um, excluding the tarpon, what did you like? I mean, what did you think that, like, oh, what really floated your boat?
1: Now, g- going going into the Amazon, I don't think there's anything like it. uh I, Guyana is probably near the top of my list for for a few reasons. One, just how remote it is. I mean, you fly into Georgetown, jump into a little puddle jumper plane, fly about two hours into the jungle, you land on a dirt airstrip, hop into a boat, and then go another 30 miles <laughs> into a river, and then that's where you're camping. Right. So you're literally in the middle of nowhere. So I love the Indiana Jones aspect of that. <laughs>
0: right. And you were catching peacock bass?
1: Yeah, yeah, peacock uh, and that's the other thing I loved about it is you had no, there was, I think, 40 documented species so far of what anglers have caught where I've gone okay. there with this particular guide. Um, but yeah, peacock bass, payara, arowana, of course, the arapaima, that's what everybody goes down there to get the big, I mean, it's kind of...
0: It's basically like a tarpon but never in Fresh water, yes. There's it's like the- unbelievable... It's like a tarpon with a triple tail on it.
1: Yes, right? Yes and and a <laughs> rock solid head. In fact, if I saw the the first one I ever landed uh, was the first day of the first time I went down. I've been there twice and uh, the guide um, and uh, side story, I'll come back to it with this with this particular guide because I recognized him, but I didn't know why. and I'd never met him at the time. Okay. but anyway, uh, <laughs> this guide. He would always put us in the middle they, we would net, they won't let us hold the head, and it was like, well, why he's like they're very ferocious this is what the the little amberinian guides they're they're <laughs> English is their main language, but it's not the same right so he said they're they're very, very dangerous, aggressive, right, but I didn't really get that until I'm holding him, and he's next to me, and that head start, starts kind of like a tarpon, they just boom boom boom, but that thing hit him in the shoulder, and I thought. The, the sound i thought his arm snapped like really? i literally thought it snapped and he was like he just let this groan out and, and kind of dropped away from the fish and uh yeah uh, it turns out it was a major like bruise he was out the rest of the week and how hide. big
0: how big was this fish you reckon
1: um i think they they guesstimated about 150 pounds wow. um about I saw the picture. seven feet, yeah, something like that. It wasn't a, a huge one by any any stretch.
0: What, what what is like a really big one of those? A really
1: big one. I think the world records in
0: the four hundred pound oh, really? range. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, and
1: they get up to ten feet long, if I'm not mistaken, hmm. give or take. There was one. In fact, this this last year when I was down there, the the Amerindian guide, which I guess they take turns the the way the the village works that we fly in who takes turns on who the chief is. So the first time I was there, that guy was the chief. So it kind of threw me off seeing him being the guide when I was there the second time. And he was with another guide that hooked into a monster, they said. They fought, they told me a couple hours worth of a fight. It pulled them all over the lagoon. Right? And finally, uh, Broke off. They didn't land it. No pictures to prove it. So, of course, the fish is way bigger now, right? No. <laughs> but the the guide, the, the Amerindian guide that's lived in the jungle his whole life, he's from Apatiri Village where around where we're fishing, he said it's the biggest arapaima he's ever seen. Really? The By far. He, his guesstimate, he said 500 pounds. That's, and that's somebody that's lived there the whole time. I never got to see it.
0: And but it, help- that would
1: blow up. Out the world record, if how that were the big, how case. How big
0: are these guides? Like, like oh,
1: what? they're they're. I'm, well, I'm five ten, and I tower over most so of them. Little, little, Indian little dudes, right? yeah. <laughs> and they're little little are dudes, to hold the those ember- big, Yeah, the giant fish. That's pretty yeah.
0: cool. That's pretty cool. I went, I went, I went to Venezuela, but I never went to the Amazon. But I did go to a fish market when I was in Venezuela, where a lot of the fish came from the oh, Amazon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was floored. The I saw some dead snooks in there that were so friggin' huge. And then I saw a whole bunch of fish in there. I just, I didn't even know what the hell they were. Yeah. There's a lot of that too. A, a lot of fish. A lot. Like, like, how the hell did I not know what these fish are? And these people are buying them hand over fist at the fish markets yeah. and I'm looking right at them and I'm like, no clue.
1: Yeah. And what makes it hard too, is you'll ask what kind of fish that is and they'll give you the native name. But then when you go to like IGFA or anything to kind of look up what species it is, that doesn't coordinate. So then you're having to start from scratch to kind of yeah, figure like, out what the heck I just caught.
0: Right. And like four different names for yeah. it. You got the, the, the Latin name, yes, the IGFA <laughs> name, the local name, the country. Yep. Yeah.
1: Which makes it difficult. Huh? Oh, but that guide that got tore up that I thought his arm snapped. Yeah. Uh, his name's Neville. Um, the reason I ended up figuring out, cause as we talked, you know, we'd get in at night, we'd eat and, I, and then I'd go over and talk with the Amerindian guides, uh, just because it's interesting to hear that I'm totally different way of living, and just I don't know, I I, no, I, I like that vibe to kind of figure out why people do the the things they do. And I mean, every and time I every
0: time I do a destination, I don't do near as what I used to. But I was way more infatuated with the social lifestyle of the fishermen, yeah, than I was so much with fishing and the fish. It's like you know, well, if I lived here, or what would it be like, you know, being you know, Bahamian or whatever. Right. And, you know, you try to put yourself in their shoes so to see their, their lifestyle and how they go about it and what they think about the fish. Like, you know, like my Bahamian buddies, they all think I'm totally nuts for tarpon fishing all the time. You can't harvest them. Yeah, you right. can't eat yeah. them. They, they Why fight, catch
1: them if you're not eating Right.
0: They fight so much, and, you know, you're <laughs> going to sweat when you pull them in, you know, all that kind of thing. And they just totally don't get it. You know, but I guess if I grew up a Bahamian, Man. You know, and looked at it from the way they look at it. I, I wouldn't get it. Well, either. you're fishing to
1: eat, right? In a lot of cases, you
0: see what's on my table. Yeah, I got the nice
1: uh, tarpon. Uh, what is that is that Chrome?
0: I don't know what it is, but I got it for. Computer. Chris- I got it for Christmas, and um, we put it on the living room table, and. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty ironic that that tarpon's sitting on my living room table because pretty much that's what's fed the family for the last 20 years or so. 100%, yeah. Even though we don't kill them, we don't harvest them. They still feed the family. <laughs> right. All right? Right. Now, you told me that at all these places that you've been, in, uh, when we were fishing the other day, and I asked you, I said, dude, I said, what do, what do you think is your most favorite or not your favorite, but the most productive? And you totally floored me when you said Fort Lauderdale.
1: Oh, Hands, hands down.
0: Explain, hands down. E- explain that because, you know, like, like I think the fishing is good here. But, you know, I'm a good fisherman and, you know, I can kind of get the best out of it. But you would just think that going to these remote places, that the fishing would be so much better and easier. And
1: Right. Well, know. I guess it's from your perspective, perspective where I want to go and catch as many different species as I can. Where I, there's not a place that, I mean... If I want to go saltwater fishing in Fort Lauderdale, there's so many options I've got down here, right? From game fish all the way down to just, you know, bottom fishing and catching whatever you want to catch, right? But on the freshwater side of it, you don't have to go to the Amazon to catch peacock bass. Yeah. Good point. You don't have to go to catch redtail. You don't have to go to catch snakeheads. I mean, you could travel to Fort Lauderdale and cross several countries off your list because the species are right here. Now, they're not as big. as you can get, but they're all here. You can fish a little puddle and catch 10 species in a day
0: and not have to leave the U.S. Yeah, see, I never think of it like that. We just kind of take it for granted, all those different exotic fish that are swimming around in those canals. Well, and and a lot
1: of people just kind of poo-poo them or or look down, or you're supposed to catch and kill. I've I've heard. I don't know if that's the case. Well, they're
0: they're invasive species. I mean, the only species that we meant to have out there were the peacocks. Right. And that was supposedly to control the, <laughs> yeah, this is you know, the, the typical, you know, government and management of wildlife. So we have these tilapias that are an invasive species. Yeah. So we're going to bring in another invasive species <laughs> to eat the other invasive species. Right. And then all these different, uh, what do you call it, uh, fish companies that sell fish to aquarium or pet stores for aquariums oh, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. You know, like... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when they flush these fish or well, when they I, get rid I've of them. i I always wondered they...
1: how so many species got here. I was like, well, you guys have hurricanes and maybe a maybe an aquarium got tore up and
0: I I'm not I, positive. I don't
1: know how you have so many species down here, but and they're a, here.
0: And enough of them for people to roll around and catch them. Right. That clownfish, The right. knife fish.
1: Yeah, I got my, cl- my my first clown ever was earlier so, this year.
0: What are all the species that you got down here in Fort Lauderdale?
1: Oh, I don't know how many, but let's see. We've got that I've caught just... I bet you there's over 30 species I've caught just in Fort Lauderdale.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's nuts.
0: That's totally nuts.
1: You know, it's... And it, you literally don't have to try... You, you come, stay at whatever hotel you are, and go to the first body of water you come to, 100% certainty there's fish in there. And yeah. you can't say that about really anywhere else. I mean, South Florida is is crazy It's totally
0: way. nuts. And as much as they develop it, as much as they kill off all the natural resources... The fish somehow. I mean, I mean, it's not the ideal situation, but somehow or another, the fish find a way to survive, and yeah. they're still out there. Um, Rick and I just fished two nights ago, and um, you know, summertime fishing isn't always the easiest or the most consistent fishing, but um, we had an epic day.
1: Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we got
0: we got a we got a big tarpon around seventy-five pounds. We got a, a couple small tarpon, you know, twenty-five pound class. We had a beautiful snook sight casting. We uh,
1: got a little barracuda. Yep,
0: yeah, got some barracudas,
1: and then some, uh, which uh, was a new species for me. Which I thought was cool is the uh, the horse eye jack.
0: Oh, that's right. You Got some horse eye. I jacks. thought, that,
1: granted, it was small, but I got a kick out of catching that just because it's a new species on my
0: list. Yep, yeah, you got the horse eye yeah. jack, and no, um, yeah, it just turned out to be an epic day, and um, we had some really good weather. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well. It ended up being really good. Weather. We were dumped on for the first hour and a half or so.
0: That's good. But I loved it. Right. Exactly.
1: The, the, the rain down here is warm compared to Utah.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean the summertime—that's what you. I mean, you pray for a little bit of rain yeah, in the yeah. afternoon because cool if you off. don't get it, you know, it's 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 much tougher. So um, anyway, the um, the oh. po- the podcast. Have you uh, have you been listening to any of these podcasts besides Rogan? These fishing no, podcasts?
1: I, 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 I'm a Rogan guy because I, you never. Know, but no, I'm I'm new to the. This is the first one I've ever actually been on. Uh, okay. But uh, listening to them, I'm getting more and more into them. There's a guy named Lance Egan that does one uh, in Utah. He's on the U.S. Fly Team, uh, fly fishing team. Yeah,
0: uh, I think what I think what happens. Um, it's kind of like fishing I don't, spots. I didn't know a lot of them.
1: Yeah, that it might be because they're not terribly advertised I would put it that well, way. Well the, yeah,
0: there's no budgets. Yeah. You know, people just do them, um you kind of got to find them organically and then um I'm forcing myself to go through all the different podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, the fishing podcasts. Most of them are freshwater. There's a few saltwater ones and um I don't know. I'm finding out that uh I don't know as much as I thought I did.
1: <laughs> I learn. I, I I get that every day. <laughs> Anytime I go fishing something new, it's just like, geez, I know nothing about fishing.
0: But I think I think the best thing about it is I'm able to sit down with guys like yourself and actually spend the time, you know, talking, you know, in depth about things that you just can't talk. In depth about, I don't know, like people think like when we're fishing together, like, oh, they're on the boat for five hours together. They must have time to talk about everything and anything. (laughs) And it just doesn't work out. No, no, no.
1: You're focused on trying to catch fish. Right. And
0: even if you were talking to me half the time, I wouldn't be listening because I'm, you know, waiting for the next fish to roll or looking for Mm -hmm. some bait to jump or whatever. And it just doesn't work out like that. Mm -hmm. So all these different dudes that I'm doing podcasts with, um, a lot of them I've known for, you know. Many years. Mm-hmm. But when the hell do you ever take an hour and sit down and just bullshit about whatever you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a guy thing, too. My wife will come home and spend an hour with her friend and she'll tell me this hour-long story about what they talked about. I'm like, how do you talk about that much stuff in one hour? <laughs> and I'll come home, and she says, hey, how was your fishing trip? Or, what? you know, what did you talk about? Or it's like... She's really. We didn't talk. talk. What do you you mean? You spent eight hours with it, but you didn't talk. (laughs) Like, what do you want? What do you want from me, right?
0: (laughs) My wife's been saying that to me for twenty years, and uh, she just she doesn't get it. But you know, I'll take her out fishing. I'll take the worm out fishing, and you know, she then she realizes you know how in depth it is, and there's so many different things that you got to do, and you know, and pay attention to. And I think a lot of times too, especially with my clients, I think a lot of times it's time for them to come out on the boat and not say much. Mm. And I think. You know, I think, of course, you have to be friendly and you have to be cordial and you have to be pleasant, you know. But on the other hand, when people want to go fishing, um, they want to experience it. A lot of it has nothing to do with conversation. No, no. So to let let them sit there and just watch everything and try to soak it in. And then, you know, you answer a question for them, you know, now and then, that kind of thing. But I think a lot of – a lot said – by not saying anything
1: a hundred percent well just the experience and especially down here i mean the intercoastal i mean you don't have to catch a fish but the smells the the giant mansions you're going by the the yachts that are bigger than my house i mean yeah no, the, just it, the sights are are awesome
0: yeah i can't tell you how many um how many clients i have that um they only want to fish here or miami you know like i could take them off the beach You know out in the ocean Mm -hmm. and the fish will be out there like no no jeff you know bring me up that river they want to see those houses (laughs) yeah yeah they want to see those boats and then there's something that happens it's very
1: unique here i don't know that you've got that at other places no
0: it's it's very unique when it comes to that this is like the epitome of urban fishing and when somebody has a hundred pound fish on and there's there's skyscrapers in the back Mm -hmm. and there's chicks on g-strings you know (laughs) on the beach yeah you know it's definitely you know i don't know it plays tricks on your mind and, uh, 100%. and yeah, there's no other, there's no other feeling like it. And, um, the trophy fish that we have here, um, is, is fairly phenomenal. Like I, I tell people when they book their trips is like, they want to know, well, gee, how many snook can we catch? And I'm like, well, maybe we'll catch two or three snooks. I said, but they're going to be nice snooks. They're going to be
1: big. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I can't, you know, like I can't, I can't do like they do on the West coast or in Everglades city or whatever. And put people on, you know, a whole bunch of small fish if I want to. Right. Can I catch you a trophy? Yeah, we can do that if you're Mm -hmm. willing to work at it. But I can't put 20 small snook in the boat. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, so it's a little bit different. But the whole setting and everything. um,
1: Well, it's interesting you say that, too, uh, because there's a guide I fish with when I go up, when I'm doing work up in Tampa. And uh, this last trip was within the year. I forget what month now. And we got into a snook and. I was happy I caught it, but I've been spoiled down here <laughs> coming fishing with you because I pull it out and it it's if if it were if I would have caught it here it would have been easily the smallest snook I've ever caught in Fort Lauderdale up there they were like man that's a nice that's a snipe nice snook we got to get a picture of that and I was like well yeah you know, I'll take a picture of everything because it's a fish right <laughs> but I I was happy I caught it but it was they, they made a bigger deal of it
0: and so what you just said definitely rings true well you know. <clears throat> I kind of been busting chops on the West Coasters for the existence <laughs> of our social media. Um, I tell them, you know, you got your West Coast snook and your East Coast snook, and the West Coast snook are half ladyfish. They're just not holding the girth and yeah. the weight, and, the, and you know that, that that these fish are over here. Not to say that they don't have some big snooks.
1: Well, I've also, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Aren't there different species of snook? Like there's different actual different species. Some are longer, some are fatter. Yeah, there's there's three or four different species. There's a snook snook to me, but I don't know.
0: But they say that the common snook is the same snook on the west coast okay. and on the east coast? I don't know about that. If they are the same snook they definitely aren't eat on the same diet. Right. Because this the snook like, you know, I don't know. We we kind of piss some people off talking um about this 40 inch snook club and we just never thought of one measuring a snook unless the you know regulations tell Mm -hmm. you you have to measure it but like to measure a snook to find out how big it is we would always just you know call it pounds Mm -hmm. so 30 pounds 20 pounds or whatever and you can catch a snook on the west coast let's call it 42 inches like the one you caught Mm -hmm. and that snook could weigh like 17 pounds then you can catch a 42 inch snook here and that fish will weigh 27 pounds. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And um, they say it's the same species, but I don't know, dude. Right. No, mm. I, I
1: and that, I I haven't caught a, a very many of them on the other side, uh, but there's definitely a difference. I mean, the fact that, again, I think, I mean, I was happy that the guide was happy for me, <laughs> right? And it wasn't, you know, I was, I'm glad I caught it, but it, I, I wouldn't have gotten that reaction here,
0: or we got another It's
1: a, yeah, it's a snook. It's a snook. You you even want to picture of this one kind of thing, right? But uh, no, you're. I, I've seen a difference, but I don't. I don't catch them often enough to really know.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just an ongoing thing, and it's fun. Like I love to poke fun at you know the West <laughs> Coasters with their small snooks and everything. And uh, I've actually I've actually um, made a lot of friends by you know making fun of that. Oh, yeah, and you know they get they get right back at me but um you know the uh i'm gonna do uh, i'm gonna the next podcast i'm gonna do is going to be east coast versus west coast oh, there you go but it's not going to be about snook
1: tupac biggie kind of thing kind of yeah tupac biggie
0: <laughs> exactly but it's not going to be about the snook it's going <laughs> to be about their fishery and it just drives me crazy that i know so many west coast people that are into fishing that are into their water that are into their beaches and everything. And I'm watching them make the same frigging mistakes that we made here on the East coast with letting them overdevelop and just wiping out the estuaries and the fisheries and the little creeks and stuff that flow into the intercoastal and, um, the water taxis, like the water taxis are starting (laughs) to be a big thing on the, like it's a big topic on the West coast. Tampa, Punta Gorda, Fort Myers, no kidding. they're doing water taxis. And when the water taxis started off here, it was kind of a cute novel idea, but you fished between those water taxis and you see what we got it, now. It, yeah. It's fucking insane. Well, and the
1: once one of the particular spots we fished, the only boat that passed us was water tack. I should say boats. It was nothing but water taxis. That was yeah. it. That was the only boat traffic.
0: And that started with two 28 foot taxis no in kidding. 1988 or something like that. And now it's just full-out war, just trying to fish in the intercoastal.
1: And they blow by you, too. They don't care if you're there.
0: (laughs) Right. So, you know, like the West Coasters, like I just want them to pay attention. It's like this big highway that we have right here. You know what was there before that big highway, before 595 and all that? That was all estuary, marsh area. No kidding. Yeah, and there was little tiny creeks and canals that would flow into the new river. And we would go back... It was the
1: filtration system. I think you 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 mentioned that. I one of the few times we <laughs> talk about we were fishing. You mentioned that.
0: Yeah. That. It, well, that was that was part of it. You had the sawgrass. You had you know oysters and barnacles and all sorts of different things that were in the. And to stem
1: that red tide business, you guys have had a little and, bit.
0: And now, that whole area is just nothing but concrete and water pipes that dump drain water into the river. Right. And you don't see the little tiny spawning fish anymore like years ago we'd go up there and we'd get our bait and uh especially this time of year you'd throw the net and you'd get little tiny snooks and little tiny tarpons in your net no kidding yeah and um that's all gone wow and i see those same areas all through the west coast i see those little creeks i see those little estuaries and then i look down the street and i see what used to be a stop sign. Now a four-lane, mm. you know, four lane, Yeah, and the houses aren't even built yet, but they're making they're making, making the roads for ready it, yeah. for it. And they're coming in. They're just demolishing, and it. it's driving me frigging crazy. <laughs> and you know, just get you know, look at look at what happened to Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and don't let it happen to the rest of the state. But unfortunately, I don't think I don't think people can see that. Especially as clear as I can. Or if you throw enough money at it, they refuse to see it. Yeah. Well, I think you know. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about the money. And um, the easiest way and the fastest way, you know, to get a lot of money is to develop. Right. You know, it's. I mean, it's pretty simple. Well,
1: and even if you are for conf- conservation, if you say you're for conservation, maybe I'm painting with a broad brush here, but um, there's there's plenty of people that say they're for something and then enough cash comes their way and all of a sudden it's not as important as they
0: thought it was. Yeah. It's amazing how (laughs) uh, cash can, you know, change your values very quickly that, and then, and then there's a whole lot of people that, you know, swear that they're, you know, conservation minded, but those are the same people are sitting back and just watching the the development and watching those same areas that are supposed, those are supposed to conserve. Right. You know, and now all of a sudden there's a resort there, (laughs) you know, and, and it just goes on and on and on. But have, in all your travels, I mean, do you see that? Do you see different places um, kind of getting taken over by industry or different estuaries and fishing? Or is that more of just the United States thing? Um, no,
1: there's definitely other places I fished. I wasn't there to see it happen. But uh, you take the, the Mekong Delta, I mean, with, even if it's just dams, right? Right. Um, the, the fisheries, from what I've told some of the guys that I was fishing with while I was there, they said, yeah, you ca- you came here before the dams and, you know, the fish were triple the size. You know, the, like the, the Mekong catfish, which you can good luck finding if it's not in a, you know, a pond now that they're trying to grow them, to throw them into the river. You, it's almost impossible to catch those uh, wild now, right? Really? Really. Same with same with like the the uh, Siamese carp, those really giant big carp you see. Uh, you, you don't see those anymore, and it's because of... Uh, my understanding is because of the dams that they've placed. So they can't move up river where they spawn and all that stuff. And then just the junk being dumped into the rivers. Now, as you mentioned with drain water and whatever it's, it's you take what the U S has and (laughs) it's a different ball game in civilization countries with literally everything that is their. That's, that's the garbage, right? Right. You dump it in the river and it's gone. So it's gone. right?
0: Right. So, so it's not, it's not just the United States. thing.
1: The development thing from the, areas I fished it's Fort Lauderdale being an example. Yeah. I've never seen anything quite like down here, but, uh, no, th- there's places everywhere that are getting, that are
0: getting taken. Yeah. We're, so the, yeah, the humans are pretty much just kind of taking Killing, over. Well,
1: even, you know, the guide that I, I go down to Guyana with, he, he told me when he first got there, he was from of the, like, uh, he's the one that kind of started and got the, got the Amerindian tribe there in Apatiri to, Take over. It's not his thing, but he's given it to them. It gives them jobs because there's no jobs there. They have to go to the mines in Brazil or or something of that nature. There's nothing keeping them in the village. So all the young people are leaving, and it's left, you know, all the older people in the village. So he's got that part of it set up. But uh, I forgot where I was going with that. What was, no, <laughs> what was just the question?
0: About, no, just about you know development. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So even even now, you know, Guyana hasn't been on the on the map for fishermen for. I mean, I would say a decade at most. I right. don't even think it's been that long, but he's seen how different the fishery is just in that time, from it first being discovered to now it's a destination for for somebody wanting to catch a crazy fish on a fly rod or whatever, right? Right. Um, and it's still pretty pristine, but he, it, for me, I'd have nothing to compare it to. But he says, no, it's it's, no, it's already a, changed. Yeah.
0: No, I think I think it's just a worldwide issue. Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to. And I've f- heard
1: that with Papua New Guinea. I haven't been there yet. Hopefully next year.
0: You're gonna try to do that one. Papua I, New I need to do the. And need- that like crazy dangerous to be there.
1: Uh eh, I some parts, uh, is my understanding. That's why I go with guides that have been there multiple times and have <laughs> ends with the tribes and, and whatnot. I don't. I don't know. We're going too far in where because they've still got like 40 or 50 uncontacted tribes there, from my understanding. So,
0: have you been to Panama yet?
1: I have not been to Panama, it's on my list. Costa Rica's on my list.
0: Okay. Panama's um, Panama's my favorite. Go go to destination for fishing. What what mainly the billfish? Well, yeah, the billfish. I mean when I when I went there it was more for catching black marlin than anything else because we don't get them out here in the Atlantic. But just the experience of of Panama, it's right next to Costa Rica and all those other places that you can catch you know, pretty much the same fish, mm-hmm. but Panama is a little bit different. Um, yeah, there's a tourism market, but it's not like, you know, the cheesy style right, tourism right. market that you see in a lot of different places in the culture around fishing in Panama. I mean, um, the natives and the people who live in the city are like really into it. Hmm. Like there's a whole sport fishing culture, um, in Panama that, you know, you can, when you get there, you know, you're sitting down with other guys in well, most of the places, you know, you, you get that, but it's usually like in a lodge. Right. It's not like part of the city. You know what I mean? And, um, and then just the people, you know, it's no nonsense, not that there's no crime, but you know, as long right. as
1: it's pretty U S friendly too, isn't it? Very U
0: S friendly. And, um, I just, I don't know. That place just always seems special. Um, every time I fish there and I've been going, I don't know, I've been there maybe four times, Oh, nice! but the first time I went all salt water, all salt water. Cause I'd, I
1: hear the peacock bass fishing down there's insane too, but I, of course I've never done it, but
0: I, yeah, I never go. I've never, I haven't gone inland fishing. I've, uh,
1: but you're not a big freshwater. You're not a big freshwater guy though, right? I mean, I've
0: not much I'm, of a freshwater I'm, I'm guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not not a freshwater right. guy. It's just, you know, you grow up on the canals here in Fort Lauderdale. Right. You catch
1: a couple of snook and tarp and all of a sudden a largemouth bass isn't that
0: cool. Well, you know, I, kind tell, of thing, I, I, or? I, I but I tell you what is cool. I tell you what is cool is, is going out to the Everglades and getting lost out there in that sawgrass and that wilderness out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the fish are a bonus and that I enjoy. Every once in a while, and I mean every once in a while, every yeah. 10 years or so, I go out there. I actually went out there a couple of years ago with my guy who fished with, Mitchell, and we took his egret, and we buzzing around, and that was one of those real dry summers, so there's these huge fires out there. And when you're like, you pull up to these areas where, you know, it's just it's burning for miles and miles, and there's just smoke and soot everywhere, wow. and you're just watching it, you know, kind of like a volcano or something. But... um but the fish—it's yeah, hard to get me fired up about freshwater fish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even eating them. Yeah, you know, like I mean, I I enjoyed a fried catfish or whatever, but I, don't know, I think I prefer saltwater. You, you, you fish. gotta
1: try a peacock. Now I don't know that I'd eat the fish down here, the freshwater. In some of the areas I've caught them in, in the city. Are but... you worried about that? <laughs> Don't think I'd eat them, but uh,
0: uh... no, those, those won't bother you. Matter of <laughs> fact, you should eat those. That'll help your uh, immune system. If you can fight through any type of those, that there bacteria, you then you can live forever. <laughs> anyway, Rick, um, thanks for coming in and doing the podcast. Yeah. We wish you luck with your snakehead tomorrow. Hey, I appreciate it. And um, for all you guys that would like to follow Rick and his travel destinations and all the crazy fish that he catches. Tell them how to uh, how to follow you on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. It's
1: at Rick's Real Adventures. Uh, Facebook. It's at Rick's Real Adventures. Mm-hmm. And then my, my my blog. You can there's links that you can see that. I've actually got to do a little bit better job of keeping that part of it up to date. But just keep in, catching the fish. In, Instagram. The pictures are all going to be on Instagram. I just got to do a better job of uh, putting out the uh, written out version of what happened.
0: All right. Yeah. And, um, also congratulations this week on getting your Fort Lauderdale grand slam.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You know, it's not too often. You can brag about getting a slam. If you guys don't know what a Fort Lauderdale grand slam is, that's when you catch a barracuda, a Jack, a tarpon and a snook all in the same night. And, um, actually had a couple slams this week. This is the time to get your Fort Lauderdale grand slam. And, uh, thanks for coming in and doing the podcast. Thanks for being a great client. And, um, It's Rick from Rick's Real-Time Adventures. Thanks. It's been real. Run that dog, pal. Yep.